Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Hey, a pleasant afternoon and evening for everybody. Welcome to the Water Zone Show. I'm Rob Starr along with Mr. Mike. Uh, Mike. <laughs> I, can, I don't know why I confused his name. We were just talking about a gentleman named Mike earlier, uh, Mr. Chris Davey. And uh, we were talking about our uh, last uh, co-host on the show who retired, and uh, he was on my mind. So sorry I made that little blip, but uh, we got have a good person right now, and uh, we're very happy with that. Chris, sorry about that. How you doing? I'm doing fine, man. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. I won't tell our listeners what kind of names I answer to at home here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had I had so Mike I, on my mind when we were talking talking about him getting together, and it's just yeah. So no, stayed there no with worries me. there. Anyway, you're, you're, yeah, you're you're just fine there. We're just sitting here starting to cruise into the fall time of year, and I'm glad I didn't put a lot of Halloween decorations out the past week because um, we got some some light rain and some drizzle and stuff like that, but it would have messed everything up. So yeah, it's kind of nice. The temperatures have gone down. You know, we're into the um, mid to upper 70s during the day, so quite pleasant. Well, I want to wish you and, and Chris Austin and all our listening uh, family happy National Pumpkin Day. Mm. Thank you. Mm. Oh, That's- what do we do with that? How do we celebrate National Pumpkin Day? Well, my wife goes to the store and buys tons of pumpkins, cuts them up, takes the seeds out, and bakes them. That <laughs> throws the rest <laughs> of the pumpkins away. <laughs> I said, why don't you just buy the bags of pumpkin seeds? No, she'd rather make them herself. So, Well, actually... It Apparently, there are pumpkins that you can buy in the supermarket that are for eating, for recipes and things. Oh, yes. And if you search online, there's all kinds of them. But I don't think uh, – I've never uh, had a used pumpkin in that way. But I am, I'm also not a big pumpkin pie fan either. So um, well, Everything pumpkin. Pumpkin latte, pumpkin cookies, pumpkin – you name it. But she did. She did make a couple of times. Um, got, a, got a smaller pumpkin in it because it's basically a squash, and loaded up with some meat and some cheese and some other vegetables inside of it. It was pretty good. Actually, yeah. So. Okay. Well, good to know. So, happy happy National Pumpkin Day, Day. to everybody. <laughs> so, Chris, what's uh, what's new in the water world that you uh, you write up? I mean, you got to Oh, the one question I was going to ask you that we didn't finish on the last show was about this strange looking. I call it a dinosaur fish. I don't, I don't know what it is. It looked like it's from the Middle Ages or beyond, now, like hundred thousand years old. What? What is that? I know they've been flying. They've been cropping up on all these beaches all through California. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. We always get uh, every now and then we get a strange creature from the deep, and that was one. I think it it the description sort of reminded me of like one of the. Uh, fish in Finding Nemo. I guess it had this little thing that came up on the top of its head that lit up. And wasn't there someone on a uh, little fish on Finding Nemo that had that feature? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, crazy things. Uh, do, and and everyone loves the good story of a creature from the deep. We gosh, oh, they, they had a, um, a a fish with teeth. Uh, they caught in a river and in a creek, I think up like by Roseville in Sacramento um, a few months ago, <laughs> you know, a uh, uh, fish with two teeth. Oh, wow. 
Wow. Well, Chris, Chris Davey may know. Chris, what is that fish that looks sort of like a butterfly wing or something? And you say, you're not supposed to eat them or touch them in the ocean? Oh, the, the, like a ray or a manta ray or a stingray? No, no, a small, small, little, small little fish. It's red. They said you shouldn't eat it or go near it. Uh, I don't know. There's uh, there's oh. several of those. I just you know the only thing I can think of that you shouldn't eat is the puffer fish, but they're not very you know not around no. here anyway. No, <laughs> and you got to know how to cut them. Otherwise, you only get one chance to eat it <laughs> if you're lucky. If you're lucky, from what I understand. So anyway, yeah. I'll leave I'll leave the rest of the questioning for you. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> otherwise, if it's prepared wrong, you die. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I think you have so to Chris, I was going to ask you, so I looking at the radar map, I was just you know mentioning about the little bit of wet weather we had down here. Looking at the radar map where you live up in Northern California, it looks like you got fairly good walk. Yeah, we did. We had a pretty, um, on, on Sunday, I was driving up through the Sierras and the water was really coming down. Um, so much so I got into a situation where um, I couldn't um, uh, I couldn't get the the uh, windshield wipers to move the water off my windshield fast enough. So I almost okay. wanted to pull over, but I was in a line of of traffic, and we were all in the same boat looking at each other's headlights. And I figured if I tried to move off the side of the road, everyone would probably follow me. <laughs> So, no, I didn't do that. But, yeah, we did get some water up here. So, you know, it's uh, we always like to have that water. Well, we had a good we had a good wet year, that was for sure. But also some information came out on, on just how much water conservation was achieved in the state of California over the last year, right? So, I mean, you know, it's kind of good on both, both ends of that, you know, burning both, both ends of the candle there. So... One billion acre feet or more would be saved by the end of 2023, at least from the Colorado River Basin. They're saying over the past year. I mean, that's a that's a pretty good scorecard when you look well, at you it must, in the whole. You, you know, must mean gallons. A billion yes, acre gallons, feet would be <laughs> would be a, like we'd be all underwater with that. <laughs> yes, I'm, but, I I did mean gallons. My uh, uh, my bad. Um, but you know, looking in the scheme of things, that. Still not a great amount. That's like you know, dropping the bucket. Uh, you know, all pun intended. But um, yeah, looks looks pretty good. Yeah. So and you know, we'll see what what we get for a uh, for a winter season. They they are projecting that it's going to be another wet one. So the people are gearing up. So we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, lots of news. Uh, one one big news is that uh, the uh, Bureau of Reclamation, who manages the Colorado River, um, released their draft it, uh, environmental document report on how they're going to manage the river until 2026. And um, it, so it looks like they've accepted the plan that the California, Arizona, and Nevada came up with. Uh, well, really, it's... Uh, it's really between California and Arizona because Nevada's like share of the Colorado River is so small. If they didn't take any any of their allocation, it wouldn't it wouldn't even be noticeable uh, to the other to the other states. So, so it's basically California and Arizona, 
and they come up with a plan to conserve this water uh, for, uh, you know, I think it's 3 million acre feet for the next three years. Um, they have, there's not a lot of details in exactly how they're going to do it, but they are counting on funding from uh, one of the, the uh, I think it was the Inflation Act that they passed this funding into. So basically they're going to go buy water <laughs> from farmers and to keep that water in Lake Mead and in the river uh, to prop up the reservoirs. So that's obviously kind of an unsustainable thing, but that's kind of what they're looking at to do until they get up to 2026 when these uh, interim guidelines, as they're called, are set to expire. And they've already started the process to start negotiating how they're going to manage the river from 2026 and beyond. But um, obviously, we're not going to be able to continue buying water from farmers, you know, to to keep the river propped up. They're going to have to, uh, you know, people are going to have to lower their water use. Um, so we'll see. The tough, the tougher decisions is kick down the road a little bit, uh, but uh, but it it is like I think it's good news because rather than reclamation imposing uh, cuts, it's a it's a consensus solution that California, yeah. Arizona, and Nevada uh, did, but it's just delaying the bad news. Yeah, afraid so. What's happening on the groundwater side? I know that there's been some you know, funding or grants made available over the past, um, you know, week or so that we've seen. And, of course, it's a big subject for us on the ground, on the groundwater side. Yeah. Uh, today, the Department of Water Resources, who is in charge of evaluating these groundwater management plans that are coming in from the groundwater basins across the state, uh, this is a, the result of the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, or what we lovingly refer to as SIGMA, that was passed back in 2014. So they've been given, uh, all these basins were given deadlines to organize themselves, come up with a management plan, and then submit the management plans. And then the Department of Water Resources evaluates those plans. And they approved 11 today, and they deemed another six uh, plans incomplete. So those basins that are that have incomplete plans have six months to correct those deficiencies um, and resubmit their plans. And then they will, the Department of Water Resources will evaluate them. And if they haven't fixed those deficiencies, then they get sent over to the state water board for intervention. And uh, the last batch of uh, groundwater plans, there was a batch that was sent over to uh, the, the state water board. I think there were six uh, groundwater basins. And the state water board is taking this pretty seriously they have scheduled a probation hearing for uh, the basin they feel is the most critical, um, and that that hearing is scheduled for April 2024. So there's plenty of time for people to work on solutions, but uh, 
the state water board seems to be pretty serious about moving forward with their responsibility to intervene if these patients cannot come up with a, a suitable plan. So we'll see how it we'll see how it goes. Uh, you know, a lot of farmers, uh, you know, having to figure out how they're going to deal with uh, less groundwater. Um, you know, those that are on the eastern side of the San Joaquin Valley uh, generally have surface water rights, and they're not as bad off as those on the western side of the valley. That there's really not a lot of rivers on the yeah on the western side, so they're more groundwater dependent and imported water dependent. So you know, we'll see. This is going to be a tough a tough transition but a very necessary one, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, I see, I see in, you know, in your coverage, there's, there's lots of things that we feast on and some of them that we go famine on. And, you know, like there's the first snow now I hear in Tahoe and Yosemite, and then you turn around and you hear about the, the fears of, of, uh, of sewage, that it was infested water. It was a city called Isleton. I guess yeah. that was so, I mean, on one hand, you're getting snow starting, and the other hand, you got infested sewage water. So what do you do? I mean, it, it's yeah, one, Well, one, yeah, Isleton is kind of in a unique situation because they are um, uh, in the Delta, and so they have, you know, levees, and they're sort of surrounded by water. And, um, you know, the islands in the Delta generally for municipal water or for domestic water, uh, they're not taking it from the canals. They're actually used groundwater, which is, and their groundwater is uh, not, it's, it's kind of mineralized groundwater. But um, so that, that city, uh, they had a sewage plant that got overwhelmed over the, the wet season and it caused some repair or some damage to the system and they need help to get their system fixed, and it hasn't been fixed yet, so they're very concerned about that. Um, Isle 10 is, uh, I think it's considered a disadvantaged community. I mean, it's a it's cute little town, but there's very little economic activity there. Um, so, you know, they they really need some help, but they're kind of in a unique situation sandwiched there in the Delta. So, they're, you know, with, and they really need to get their sewage system repaired. So hopefully a little uh, media attention will help help those folks out. I hope that happens fast. No, no. And, you know, it's it's hard when you have these communities, they just don't have a lot of resources and, you know, not a lot of taxes, not a lot of money. Uh, right. So, you know. Well, I know we spend money on lots of other things and, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an advocate for everybody here should be able to have fresh, clean water. But uh, like you say, it's uh, got to go through the systems and takes forever and uh, they have to suck it up, but I feel really bad for people who live in those areas all over the country. Although but, the state, the state released a progress report. I think it was last week that um, that kind of showed the work that they've been doing. We don't hear a lot about it, and we should never. Please do not take this as like the problem is solved. But there have been a lot of things going on. 
uh, in particular, there's been a number of consolidations where you might have a small struggling water system that is just on the outskirts of a city that has a municipal mm -hmm. system in good shape, and they are hooking those um, those systems up into the larger cities' uh, water system. Um, and there's been a number of those consolidations uh, and the state has been helping make that happen because that is the solution for a lot of these towns with contaminated water. And Fresno in particular, um, when they, I believe that it was a piece of legislation that was passed that, that said, you know, you, that the state water board could force consolidation uh, of these systems. And Fresno uh, just went at it and said, you know, it's the right thing to do. And they went around and they have been, you know, consolidating and hooking up a number of systems that were on the outskirts of Fresno. Because uh, they just said it was the right thing to do, which is which is really refreshing. So, yes. you know, so the report from the state, uh, I believe, said that at one point there was 1.5 million people with, uh, dirty water, and they have uh, reduced that now down to about 850,000. Um, so that's actually a pretty healthy, you know, yeah. uh, standard yeah, mass. I just wish to publicize it more so people know, you know, you know, bad news travels faster than good news. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, you get, you get you pay more attention to the bad news than people do with the, the good news. But it's nice to hear that. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah. Now, there's still more work to do, so no one should, should think that we're, we're nearly done yet. But, um, but there is stuff going on, you know. We, are, we do make headway here in California. <laughs> we're well, not the total UN, idiots. <laughs> well, the UN, well, the UN put a report out that's warns of uh, catastrophe of climate tipping in you know, it's talking about making irrevocable stabilizing problems and, and complete collapse of the ecosystem and some institutional systems. So, I mean, that's that's a scary headline. Yeah, yeah, and that's hard to, that's really hard to talk about uh, on the radio. Because, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, the uh, there just isn't much good news about the climate. And uh, there's also, uh, I mean, the science, is you know is telling us it's really bad you know people say uh, you know that the, that the scientists are wrong and so i guess in a sense they were they were wrong in that the models didn't understand what the increase in temperatures is uh how that affects water use water on the landscape water in the streams temperatures um of the water uh they just didn't know and so what we're seeing are right now here in 2023-24 is what they were uh, forecasting would happen in 2040. So um, and September's uh, jump in temperature is uh, you know they're still stunned by that because it was you know a a, a big outlier. <laughs> More of an outlier than other months have been, uh, way, way above. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what to say. There's, a, there's just a lot of, uh, you know, difficult news in the world today. No, you're, 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 you're absolutely right. Sorry, Chris, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to. I was just wondering to see how Chris Austin was going to answer that question, Rob, because it's, uh, <laughs> it's tricky. And, and Chris, you know, you know, I like a good damn conversation, right? So I'm going to yes. ask you one. Oh Here. yeah, let's this, go to the damn. Yeah. So you know, I mean, if you follow California Water News like like we do, you know that it's a rare opportunity for any new dams to be built in California. There's just not in many many places left to do that. So you know, kind of. A dam expansion project are like the only thing. So I just saw, I just read on Mavis Notebook um, that they're looking at raising the level of the San Luis Reservoir Dam, and then there's Pine Flat Dam and a couple of others following that. That was on your newsfeed. I thought that was great. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, the CIS, the CIS Dam, which is at the San Luis Reservoir, um, that right. project is moving forward. I believe it's even somewhat... Uh, somewhat in the planning stages for some time. They've released some reports. So, um, and I mean, I think this is a, this is a good project. Um, it's, you know, San Luis Reservoir, it's an off-stream reservoir. I think they say it's the largest off-stream reservoir in the United States. And off-stream means that it doesn't, it's not blocking a river or, or a creek, at least not anything of any big size. So, uh, so, uh, you know, they, it's, so it's not, it's not as ecologically, uh, damaging as, as it is when you build a, uh, dam across a river or, or a strong creek. There's no fish in danger and all that stuff. So, um, and they can uh, enlarge this reservoir, um, without, you know, without too much difficulty. So, um, it's good to see that project move forward. Um, the other uh, news there was this week that actually I wrote about was um, a dam outside of Santa Clara County, the Pacheco Reservoir. Uh, the Valley Water in San Jose wants to uh, enlarge that reservoir. I think it's about 6,000 acre feet, and they want to move it to 140,000 acre feet. And, oh, and just because my mom reminded me of this this weekend when we were talking, an acre foot is the amount of water that would be spread on a football field to uh, the depth of one foot. So one acre, one foot, one acre. Um, and it's, a, it's about enough water to supply two to four families, depending on who you ask, per year, two to four families per year. So, um, you know, so they want to they want to enlarge six thousand to one hundred forty thousand acre feet, and this dam has has some um, this project the has, the cost has kind of escalated. Uh, there's they found uh, earthquake fault in the area, so they had to move the location. They had to change the type of dam they were building. So it looks like it's now a two billion dollar project. Of which they have only 500 million um, committed in funds. So they actually were saying that uh, if they can't find any more funding, that it was going to have to go to the ratepayers to pay it. So, yeah. So I don't know. Um, it, it's a one of the main uses of this reservoir would be to provide an emergency water supply. Uh, for droughts or earthquakes, you know, so they had more water that they'd be able to get into San Jose. 
um, we'll see. We'll see what the what the rate payers say. Um, uh, at least they, you know, San Diego has the uh, the most expensive water. I I read in the nation. I read somewhere which uh, they have a ver- a lot of expensive water projects that they that they do down there, uh, which is why they're so high. It'll be interesting to see what the impact is for uh, the folks in San Jose on their water. I got to commend it to both of you. You brought up very damn good. Damn stories. <laughs> That's another damn conversation. That's right. <laughs> well, Chris, we thank you for coming on today and, and giving us the latest and greatest what's happening. And, and for the listeners, please go to her thing called mavensnotebook.com. You can become a subscriber. You can also become a sponsor. The best place to get updated information every single day. And Chris and I, Chris Davey and I get it every morning on our laptops. And, uh, I'll tell you, it's, it, it gives us lots of information, lots of stuff to talk about. And, Chris, you know, we could keep you on and on and on forever and ever and ever and do a 24-hour show, but I don't think that's going to work with NBC. So uh, we got to go to our commercial. <laughs> we got to go to our commercial break. Uh, but please, listeners, uh, check out check out her uh, thing at mavensnotebook.com. I'm, I'm going to tell you, you'll find out more stuff that you really need to know that you don't hear about anywhere else. So, Chris, thank you very much. We'll be happy to see you next week, and you have an awesome weekend. And a happy right. Halloween. Happy Halloween. Yeah. Are you gonna have a lot of people coming a lot of people coming to your house? Um, we have lots of little ones in our neighborhood. So I think we, we generally do. It's fun. I love the little ones. Yeah, they're cute. All right, well have a good week and uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Good evening everyone. Good evening. All right, we're gonna take All a little break. Chris. And we'll be right back with our featured guest of the day. So stick around, it's gonna be a very interesting conversation. KCAA Loma Linda. The legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. Water is one of the biggest expenses for communities, HOAs, universities, golf courses, and resorts. So keeping those costs under control, especially when rates are increasing while water supplies are being reduced, are often essential to a customer's survival. Managing water requires multiple skills, which is why it's been complicated and difficult until now. AquaTrack brings multiple skills and technologies together to help large system users conserve outdoor water and improve the health of their landscapes. AquaTrack's professionals are certified landscape water managers and certified landscape irrigation auditors. The company offers audit services, upgrade advice, technical expertise, and water use monitoring. We already manage irrigation water for the largest homeowner associations in Arizona, and we're prepared to bring our knowledge and experience to help others, including landscapers and designers. Give us a call and hear how AquaTrack saved one HOA some 430 million gallons of water and $200,000 in annual water expenses. AquaTrack is Arizona-based, and you can reach us at 623-594-8689. That's 623 623- Five nine four eight six eight nine. Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day, so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control, and we're here to help. It starts with the right team. 
Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete, streamlined system that meet any requirements or regulation. And from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi enabled controllers, rotors, sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. Site One is here to help. K C A A. Welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone Radio Show. I'm your host, Chris Daisy, along with the ever-present and all-knowing Rob Starr on the other mic there. We had a great guest this afternoon for you. Just going to do a quick promo for our friends at the Irrigation Association, just to let our listeners know that um, we're getting pretty close here to the 2023 Irrigation Show. Uh, It's an educational conference. It's in San Antonio, Texas. It starts on November 27th of this year. It's like a week-long uh, event, and you get access to all kinds of invaluable education, networking, uh, exhibit floor, um, all kinds of stuff, all things that have been there before. For those of you who have been to the show before, to register, you simply just need to go to irrigationshow.org. That's irrigationshow.org. Do that today, and you can sign up and register. All right, let's go to our guest, guys. We're, we're happy today because uh, we have a guest that was recommended by uh, one of Rob and I's uh, colleagues. And so we're going to bring him on the show. He's a gentleman with like 30 years of green industry uh, experience. His name is uh, Brad Jakubowski. He, um, he's got a lot of experience, man. This guy's been uh, working in the golf industry on golf courses, residential, commercial, uh, large sports field areas, right? He's currently, though, uh, an associate professor of irrigation and plant sciences at Penn State University. That's Penn State University, guys. Biggie right there. Teaches uh, irrigation and turf grass management courses. He's also taught meteorolo- uh, meteorology, um, other sustainability courses. I, uh, I know just from working with him in the last few weeks, uh, getting him on the show, that he's a huge advocate of conservation. Um, and doing so, he is the 2022 recipient of the Irrigation Association's Excellence in Education Award. So, welcome, Brad Jakubowski. How you doing? Doing pretty well, thank you. How about you? That's splendid, actually. Great to have you on the show. We're going to ask you kind of a lead-off question here. So, it gives uh, our listeners a, a chance to, to, to get a little uh, knowledge and a little a bit more familiarity with you. So we ask, we ask new guests, we say, hey, what kind of got you into the business, right? How'd you come down this road? Was it something you planned from the very start or was it fortuitous circumstances that brought you here? There's usually a good story, Brad. Actually, it was more fortuitous uh, circumstances. Uh, actually, and that actually started 40 years ago this summer. I, was, uh, I had a paper route and one of my customers on the paper route actually owned a city block. And part of it was from his house. The other were, were rentals. And he says, hey, do you want to manage this? And I said, well, yeah. And 
so from there, I started uh, managing the grounds and the irrigation system. So, and, you know, that was, we're talking a long number of years ago, and that had an old RC-12 controller on there, and a lot of those little old brass, uh, those little brass pop-ups, those inch-and-a-half brass pop-up sprinklers and some uh, impacts. Uh, we even, we even pulled around some four-inch aluminum gated pipes, you know, to kind of help uh, irrigate that area, which is a lot of fun. So uh, oh, Bradley, that was my first you, man, yeah, just using those terms, you are definitely dating yourself there, buddy. <laughs> exactly. But you, so, did, you did say it started 40 years ago, so, you know, you kind of got that up on the right foot, right? All right. right. So tell us about so, what no, you're doing. Just, tell, go ahead. No, um, at, at Penn State, uh, I teach a number of different irrigation classes. I teach a uh, golf course and athletic field irrigation course, a landscape and uh, kind of a landscape irrigation course as well. I, I was able to uh, build an online course for the Penn State World Campus uh, curriculum, which was a lot of fun, and we were able to do a lot of uh, different uh I guess, different things with that one, which was actually kind of enjoyable, which I really enjoyed. Uh, that's, that's out there. <laughs> no, I'm going to ask you another quick story. Go ahead, Rob. Sorry, Brad. We're, we are uh, remote today, so uh, usually <laughs> Rob and I are sitting right next to each other, and we can, you know, look and know who's going to talk next. But he's go ahead, Chris. Finish up. And I'm in California. Um, go finish up, Chris. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna. So I was gonna follow on to that, uh, uh, to that, and and um, you know, and ask him about his golf course experience because that seems like uh, you know a, a, a big part of the research that you've been doing and the courses that you do. And I know you've done some, you know, you've done some uh, research on various types of irrigation systems and upgrades and how well the. It seems like you're asking how well is the golf industry adapting to you know the newer technologies, kind of. Kind of tell our listeners a little bit about your experience on uh, within the golf industry. Uh, within the golf industry, it's been we've been really we've been able to see and find uh, some really fun um, innovations that they're being able to use, uh, and, and we've been able to kind of follow what's been going on with remote sensing technologies with drones and smart technologies with controllers, and being linked in today with everything being so well connected. Uh, it's it's such a wonderful treat to be able to have uh, weather station data and smart control data and ET data all just pretty much real time these days. Instead of just using re reference ET, we can use pretty much actual ET. And so you're seeing golf course superintendents using, you know, golf courses using it, um, parks and rec, uh, homeowners, uh, you know, uh, real estate associations, all of those, you know, we're seeing it uh, just kind of across the board, which is just wonderful. How do you relate, you know, this real-world sort of experience you've got, how do you relate that into developing a philosophy when it comes to you teaching irrigation and water management? Well, uh, that's actually been, it's been kind of nice because I've taught, let's say, uh, with, you know, with the two-year students, I've taught uh, with four-year students and with even just with practitioners. And through all these years of being able to teach some of those things, you find, you know, well, we're in this industry to be practical and to be um, hands-on and, uh, you know, be active learners. And that's why that's why we're in this industry in the first place is because we want to get our hands dirty, our feet wet, and just be able to really kind of get involved with that. And so I really try to incorporate that uh, into my coursework. Uh, actually, today I just got home probably about an hour and a half ago where we, we spent uh, with two different classes, uh, we spent the, the, the entire day 
out of the golf course adding um, sprinkler heads to a particular area. And so the students were actively involved in running uh, trenchers, digging holes, uh, doing uh, solvent welding, uh, you know, like PVC, uh, cement solvent welding, uh, wiring to, you know, wiring up the uh, the sprinkler heads and just kind of A to Z, which is just wonderful. It's been a really good experience to be able to have them be as active uh, in their learning as possible. Yeah, hands-on, in the trenches, so to speak, right? Yes, yep. Well, Brad, welcome to the show. This is Rob. Hope you're doing fine, and uh, we're very happy to have you on the show. Uh, one, of, one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, Years ago, I'll say 20, 25 years ago, the technology mm -hmm. wasn't anywhere near where we are today in water management and anything else. So I used to joke about when I was little, I, I was the first uh, uh, automatic sprinkler system in the house. My mom would set the egg timer. I'd go out and hold the hose and put my thumb over the end of it and squirt around. And when the bell rang, I moved <laughs> over to a next side and did that. But obviously today we, we, we don't do that anymore. How do you see the transition uh, from where it was and what it is today and, and, and about more people getting hooked into that. Because there's a lot of openings right now. We're seeing, and probably you're into what we call the gray wave, where all the people like us who are in it, and now we're thinking about, well, now it's time to get out of it and retire. But mm -hmm. there's been a lot of changes into the technology and things. Do you think the younger generation coming up are more in tune? And, and what also surprised me is just added, I, I noticed that there are so much more women in the water industry than than you know, almost men these days, and I'm, I, I give I applaud to that. I think that's great. But um, how, how do you see the people coming up in your classes and stuff? Are they really grasping the the new technology, and and, and do they just rely only on that, or do they really get involved in, in what they're doing? I know there's a lot of questions. Uh, but <laughs> excellent, excellent question, Rob. Uh, you're seeing. A little bit of difference for, let's say, 15 years ago, uh, most of the students then, or the people that, any of the people that you were working with, were a little bit more, um, I guess, let's say, dirt savvy, and then a little less tech savvy. And now you're kind of seeing, let's say, it was 60% uh, dirt savvy, 40% tech savvy. Now you're kind of seeing a lot of the students or the people coming in that are about 60% tech savvy and 40% dirt savvy, but they're still able to kind of then come in and find those trends transferable skills and being able to uh, pick up the, the learning curve a little bit better. And then actually it allows them to be a little bit more tech savvy to, uh, to embrace the new technologies, the smart irrigation, the, the drone, the drone work, uh, any of the kind of remote sen remote sensing uh, technologies that are out there to help us. It just helps them to have that. And then it's just a matter of getting them caught up with, uh, with the nuts and bolts, PVC, working PVC or poly or HDPE or any of those types of things. So it's uh, it's just a kind of just a little bit of a a little bit of a swing on the pendulum, but not too bad. Yeah, I know. You know, there's there's a whole obviously a whole science behind all of this, and and knowing about pressure, and you know, and even as some of the students I know when I go out and sometimes teach it, you ask them, do you know what a pitot tube is? And they look at you like we don't know what that is. You know. And and, yeah. and how, to, yeah. how to measure things and do do things like that. I I think that's really important. And I'd love to see a lot of even high schools because they they've dropped around the country a lot of technical things like auto shop and you know things like that. And I I know it would probably be interesting for the irrigation association to partner up with some high schools and get some grants and teach some of those kids and even at the college level when they first come in. So. You, you take a class and get a CIT certificate from the IA, 
and you can get a nice job when you when you graduate and have that certificate. And there's there's other certificates besides that that, that one, but uh, I, I think there's a valuable contribution that people can make if they really know more about what that industry is about. A lot of people don't know about all the typical jobs you can do in water. Absolutely. Yeah, there's just, yeah, from A to Z. Uh, you could be an irrigation technician or a technologist or just somebody that's a consultant, uh, you know, just at different things, different venues, uh, parks and rec, uh, athletic fields, golf, homeowners, homeowner association. Uh, I worked for um, I worked ResCom service for a couple of years for Toro, you know, back home when I was growing up and I, I loved it. It was just, you know, it was just a fantastic way to get to meet people and to learn the industry. Yeah. I, I, I find that I, I told one of my sons years ago, I said, you know, he, he was floundering around. He wanted to be a plumber or something different was finding jobs hard. I said, you know, there's a thing called the backflow. And he says, Oh, I know what those are. I said, well, you know, people need to service them and certify them. And there's millions of those. <laughs> so you can make a killing doing that. And uh, he didn't. He didn't want to do that, unfortunately. But uh, uh, but there are there are lots of jobs that pay very very well. Uh, you know, courses that they give at the DIA or the AWWA and organizations like that. Uh, it's a great opportunity for people who are kind of looking around to do something. And once they get into it, I find they they really like it. They stay there a long time. So like like yourself, like Chris, like myself. Uh, I mean, it's something that kind of grows on you, and you feel good that you're accomplishing something. Absolutely, you really do, uh, and it's and there's near instant gratification. You 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 fire up a, an irrigation system that you just installed, and it's it's working right there and now, and you can definitely then see what's going on with it, and make adjustments, or see and see oh. what's happening with it. So it's just well, it's like, wonderful. I, I, I know when I or Chris go out to a sports uh, field, whether it's a golf course, a uh, soccer field, or any of that kind of stuff, and you see the guy whip his smartphone out punches in he says i can tell you what how dry it is on on 17th hole and it needs water and blah blah i mean that's amazing what you can do today with that stuff you can just sit around in your chair uh you know anywhere you want having a beer <laughs> from your home and he can control the whole <laughs> golf course with his phone so that's that's pretty Absolutely. neat that's pretty neat yes it is let's see if we could let brad let me ask you this because i want i want to talk i want to make sure we get conservation on the agenda here and talk about that because i know okay. And I think you have a caller, too. I think you have a caller yeah, on, on the line as well. Go ahead. Oh. Uh, I don't think so. Do we? Oh. Sorry, I nope. saw one on there before. One okay, sorry about that. It shows on mine, but go ahead. Uh, yeah, so I see on the board here, I don't see anything, so I'm prompting here. Let's see if, let's see if something comes up. But Brad, let me ask you about conservation, sustainability, conservation, okay. that sort of stuff. Here in California, a big deal right now to convert turf. To, uh, to native plants or, or some other kind of thing. There's rebates available, and you know, and water water agencies are providing uh, uh, free upgrades and some you know plants and, and and conversion kits and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you see that happening uh, back in your area, or is, uh, is, is it still green? You know, green grass and lawns, for as far as you can see. No, you're you're seeing a, just kind of just an event, uh, just a a very well-paced evolution with some of those things. And you're starting to just find out, actually one of them is just paying attention to what, let's say, for homeowners, instead of really trying to make all of those areas grow thick with grass only, you're really kind of seeing them pay more attention. You know, you know, underneath that tree over there and over on that south side of the house, it just doesn't want to grow as well as it does on other areas. So they are starting to convert it to more um, some native areas or just landscape areas or just mulch and, uh, you know, with some just kind of 
different uh, lawn ornaments or whatever it might be, just to give the you know the the, the irrigation system or the turf grass systems uh, kind of a break and give them a chance to be successful where they can be successful. It's been really kind of nice to see that. Yeah. So so asking in another way, then how would you respond to a question like this? And somebody says to you, I feel strongly uh, about this wanting this lawn dead, right? I want it replaced with rocks and lawns are a waste of water and other natural resources, right? I mean, what would you say to that? That one there, I would say, boy, you're, you're really giving your, you're putting yourself kind of painting yourself into a corner if you do that. Um, especially like, let's say in, in Southern California with that, if, if, if you had the entire city of Los Angeles, um, everybody had just rock lawns or rock, you know, rock yards and everything like that. All of a sudden then you're losing the ability for the, the, those turf grasses or those lawns to filter pollutants and to reduce noise and to cool temperatures, chances are if everybody went to rock, uh, you probably see just you know, a lot of little more, a lot more, a lot more heat islands um, starting to develop with something like that. And all of a sudden, then uh, uh, your you know electrical resources and things like that for air conditioning and all of those things then would start to you could really start to see those ramp up uh, from something like that very easily. Uh, yeah, one of the things I can that people may not know. Right. Um, you know, because lawns, you know, turf grass or lawns also absorb CO2. You know, we're, we, talk, we talk about carbon sequestration. And a 2,500 square foot lawn will provide enough oxygen in a year, you know, for a family of four. So it's, it's sequestering um, uh, carbon dioxide as well as providing oxygen, too. Rocks just can't quite do that yet. So you haven't figured out how to do that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, I'm going to stop. I'm going to have to give a credit out to Rob here because he must have been clairvoyant because uh, we do have a caller, Rob. You're absolutely right, buddy. So we, we've got one of our colleagues on the phone, John Gum, and, and uh, I think uh, as no surprise uh, to you, Brad, he's going to ask you a question. Hey, so, John, welcome to the Water Zone. How are you doing? Good, Chris. Hey, Rob. Well, welcome aboard, Hey, John. Brad. Hey, John. Thanks. Uh, I just catched up to you, Brad. Uh, Kind of my question is, is, you know, us being out and, uh, you know, out on the road to seeing people, what what can we do in, in the field and out on the road to help a student at Penn State or any college, um, you know, gain employment in the industry? What can we do to help out from our side? Because we see a lot of contractors, a lot of architects. What, you know, what can we do to help a student that's going through at Penn State? Oh, good question. Uh, at this point, I think uh, right now, a lot of a lot of students are just kind of hungry for the opportunities, and oftentimes they just some they still as much as well as we are connected to the internet and just uh, a lot of social media. Sometimes some of those things just kind of fall through the cracks. Uh, oftentimes, so it just may be a matter of uh, whether it's Penn State or other schools that have uh, like a landscape uh, program or a turf grass program. It's just reaching out to the faculty and or the, uh, the student advisors out there just to let them know that they, that they have uh, what, what's, what's out there and available for them oftentimes yep. can, can be what it is. Uh, I love having them out for, I like having, you know, like you, John, or somebody else come out for, you know, as a guest lecture. Sometimes that is wonderful. And then just lead a project or whatever it might be, something like that as well. Yeah, it's, uh, we try to, you know, raise the awareness of the industry when we're up there and uh, we really do appreciate you bringing in different people in the industry to, to help out. And, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, there's a lot of knowledge out in the, uh, in the field and uh, whatever we could do to help out for, 
yourself or any you know any student that's you know looking to you know get in the industry. So, so. Um, also, yeah, I guess, and with it, with and with uh, internships, you're really starting to see you know uh, can they really learn a wide variety of of, of responsibilities. You know, not just doing a single thing, and you're really starting to see if, if those things are out there. It really, it seems to be very, very attractive for them at this point. Right. That's, uh, that's good. good stuff. Well, well what, welcome aboard there, Brad. Thank you. Hey, Brad, so it sounds like, you know, with all the, the efforts that you go through in, in teaching, some of that's got to go across to, you know, to the students, right? So kind of helping them to, you know, You've done stuff that incorporates your curriculum to help your students plan for what they're going to do after Penn State, you know, kind of beyond mm-hmm. Penn State and all that stuff. You, I, it just sounds to me like you do that deliberately, right? Is that is that the case? Is that you actually make your courses so that you're giving so that it's more than just you know teaching the the ins and outs and the A Bs and Cs part one two threes, but you actually teach them uh, what the opportunities are after after going to school. I do. I really try to keep them, uh, as we're talking about something, or if we're working with HDPE pipe or PVC, and it's like, you know, it isn't just uh, connecting this to this and watching the water come out of this pipe, but there's also, there are just so many different uh, avenues that you can take, and trying to make them become available with that. And also with that is just learning life skills, just basic life skills throughout the class, trying to incorporate those into that. Uh, uh, you know, one of the first things that I do in this class is we have them make ice cream. And then it's like, well, how does that fit? Well, you know, then all of a sudden they're, they're starting to learn about uh, if they know the dynamics of what happens when water changes form from, you know, from uh, liquid to gas to back to ice or whatever, what happens with that? And how can we take advantage of that as horticulturalists or uh, just, uh, you know, uh, green industry managers? How can we take advantage of those things? Uh, you know, uh, fruit growers take care of that. Uh, Curvegrass managers, you know, utilize those things. To people growing tomatoes, all of those things can can help uh, do that. Or, uh, or it's, it's one of the things that we'll do. Or have them, if it's more nuts and bolts, it may be a matter of critical thinking skills, being able to troubleshoot uh, a particular system, or just one of those types of things. Or uh, we'll see what else. Even just basic wiring, basic wiring and PVC work and poly work and all those different types of things makes a difference. Brad, does, does, I know Penn State has a lot of other programs that do have research things going on. Do you have mm-hmm. any research projects going on in, in your your side of the, the, the school? Um, we do. Uh, um, right now, specifically, we've been working on a little bit of like some truck farming kind of and small scale uh, farming and irrigation types of this, uh, type of research. Me personally, I've been doing a little bit more just applied research. Uh, Looking at what's been out, you know, what's being posted out there, and finding out uh, does this really affect flow? Uh, there's some new, there's some new saddles that they're using for poly pipe, uh, and they're claiming that you know they don't affect uh, flow x amount. But, you know, do they affect flow, or how does this work? Uh, sometimes it might just be the matter of you know funny pipe versus this. How far can we run funny pipe? <laughs> you know, all of a sudden you'll see some discussion boards. I, I you know, I'll run to 100 feet, or some of these others. I only run at a maximum of six feet. Well, let's let's find out where that really actually where's the where's the break even on some of those things. Yeah, have, have you been involved at all with what, what they call vertical farming? Um, I personally have not. No, I, I've been doing the vertical farming out here. No. 
I, I, I've seen videos. Of I've, I've yet to get anybody from one of those places to come on the show and talk about it. But just from the articles and things that I've read, it just amazes me what you can do inside a, a, a building, <laughs> a warehouse. And you use less water, you have less, uh, you don't use as much chemicals and all this other kind of thing. You can use uh, artificial light. And uh, I know there's several large companies that are doing that across the country, but I, it's hard, hard to get somebody to come in and they really want to talk about it. But I think it's pretty unique. It, it, is, it is an interesting system. And it makes, the, the crazy thing is, is it just it makes sense. If you've got limited space and other things like that, it's just, and you can recycle that little those resources and just kind of keep utilizing some of those natural resources and nutrients and whatever it is. Just makes a huge just makes sense. Absolutely. We're heading up here to the uh, news hour with NBC and we have to do relinquish it to them, otherwise that uh, cut us off the grid. But Brad, thank you, thank you very much for coming on. I'd love we'd love to have you come back and talk some more into some, some things and and uh, we really enjoyed it. I am speaking to Chris and Chris you can chime in too. Yeah, I just want to say thank you, uh, John, for uh, coming up also. I'm going to ask you a question, John. Yes. Okay, John, you're going to see you this time. Okay. That's nice how that's going. I'll look nice. Let's, let's get to the news out of here. Uh, Brad, thanks for uh, jumping on the water phone. Robin. Chris, thanks for thank doing that. Thank you, John. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks, Chris and, and, um, and John. We appreciate it. And remember what Chris and I always tell everybody at the end of our show, please help keep our planet keep blue. Keep our planet blue. And if you like green, you got to have blue. So good night. We'll talk to you next week. Have a safe weekend. And happy Halloween and happy National Pumpkin Day. CAA Loma Linda. The Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. NBC News Radio. I'm Brian.